Hello, and welcome to The Space Above Us. Supplemental 7, my first rocket launch, and what to do at yours. As you may have already guessed, today's episode is going to be a little different. For one thing, it's technically not even a real episode, but a supplemental. Between holiday travel and some looming deadlines at work, I got a little behind over the last month. Combine that with the fact that my birthday is right around when the episode was scheduled to go up, on an unspecified date, and I decided to do something that I've never voluntarily done on the show. Take a one-episode break. Other than the time I followed too closely in my podcasting inspiration Mike Duncan's shoes and landed in the hospital with appendicitis, I've resisted the urge to take breaks for fear of making it a little too easy to be lazy in the future. But I had a decent idea for a supplemental to tide everyone over, so I think I'm in the clear here. Today, I'm going to tell the story of my first rocket launch, and I'll also try to describe the overall experience for those who haven't yet had the chance to see it for themselves. On top of that, I'll sprinkle in some lessons learned to hopefully make your first rocket launch that much better. Since my launch took place at the Kennedy Space Center, my description of the experience, as well as any advice, is oriented around Florida, but it should mostly hold elsewhere. My launch story isn't the most dramatic in the world, but hey, it's mine, and I like to tell it. Way back in the early 2010s, I knew I was running out of time. I didn't really know what I was talking about yet, but I had been a huge space enthusiast for as long as I can remember, and yet I had never seen a space shuttle or any other rocket launch. This was a problem, because as we'll learn many episodes from now, the shuttle program was coming to an end. Since I am, if nothing else, a procrastinator, I had waited until almost the last possible second to start making serious plans to see a shuttle launch. Hoping to avoid overwhelming crowds while also giving myself one last backup opportunity, I set my sights on STS-134, the second-to-last launch of the Space Transportation System and the final flight of Space Shuttle Endeavour. I'm going to save all the details about the crew and mission for when we actually cover it, but if you're curious, the payload was the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. This was a super important astronomical instrument that was attached to the space station so that it could seek out dark matter in the universe. But for more details, you'll have to wait just a little bit longer. I didn't know as much about the shuttle program as I do now, but I did know that scrubs were not uncommon. So here's rocket launch lesson number one. Plan for multiple attempts. The launch was scheduled for a Monday, so I booked a flight that arrived on Saturday and left eight days later. I was lucky in that my job was flexible enough that I was able to work remote for a week and increase my chances, but even if you have to burn through some extra vacation time, I think it's worth it. In this case, it turned out to not be necessary, but I was really glad to have the extra time. After taking a flight to Orlando, I met up with a local friend, and our first task was to go shopping. Since the launch was scheduled for shortly after sunrise, our plan was to find a good spot and just camp out overnight. So we bought a couple of folding chairs, some drinks and snacks, and my friend bought a sleeping bag. More on that one later, but lesson two is that launches involve a lot of sitting around, so plan ahead. The day before the launch, we drove the hour or so east to the Kennedy Space Center and did all the typical touristy things. We hopped on a bus tour out to an observation platform about two kilometers from the launch pad and I took a whole bunch of pictures of Endeavour, still mostly hidden behind the rotating service structure on 39A. For some reason, we skipped one of my favorite activities offered at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex, the opportunity to have lunch with an astronaut. 
You pay a little bit extra, but you get to have a nice lunch indoors away from the Florida heat, and you get to listen to an astronaut talk about their spaceflight experience. They'll typically walk around from table to table to chat with people, and afterwards you can get your picture with them. It's actually how I've met a bunch of familiar faces from the show, including John Blaha, Jerry Ross, Wendy Lawrence, and of course, Dan Tani. So, lesson number three isn't strictly launch-related, but if you're going to go to the Kennedy Space Center, absolutely go for the Dine with an Astronaut experience. The visitor complex closed around 6 p.m., and the launch wasn't until 9 a.m. the next morning, so we had some time to kill. We grabbed some dinner and then made our way over to the chosen viewing area, arriving around 6.30 p.m. Lesson number four, scout out viewing locations ahead of time and have a backup in case you don't like the look of it when you arrive, and then get there super early. Oh, and if you'll be on the grass, watch out for fire ants. That's not a joke. We had chosen the Max A. Brewer Memorial Parkway, a long bridge connecting Titusville with Merritt Island. It's located about 12 miles or 19 kilometers west of the launch pad. We had hoped to get closer, but with the shuttle program winding down, opportunities to view the launch from the Kennedy Space Center had sold out quickly. When I was planning from home, I liked the bridge because it provided an unobstructed view of the launch pad and was so big that I didn't think we'd have any trouble defending a good seat. It seemed like a nice balance between proximity and convenience. When we arrived, there were already a few people camped out on the bridge, so clearly it wasn't completely unreasonable that we had gotten there nearly 16 hours early. Though I will say that for most launches, that's not typical. Uh, other launches I've attended have been more like a 3-6 to six hour wait to guarantee some good seats. So, lesson number five, bring something to do. It felt weird to be so excited, right on the verge of achieving a lifelong goal of mine, but also bored out of my mind. From what we've learned here on the show, it sounds like it's not all that different in the shuttle cockpit during the final hours before launch. As the sun set, I realized my one big mistake. Lesson six, just because it's Florida doesn't mean it never gets cold. When my friend bought a sleeping bag, I thought he was being a little excessive, but he was right. I had forgotten that we were spending the night right on the coast on a concrete bridge around 19 meters or 65 feet up over the ocean. It was windy and cold, and it turns out it's not that easy to sleep in a folding chair to start with. Eventually, as the night wore on, I tried sleeping directly on the sidewalk. This was a problem because it was even colder, but also because cars and trucks were occasionally using the bridge all night. There was a short wall between the road and the sidewalk, but I kept waking up in a panic with headlights bearing down on me. It was pretty weird. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this facet of my story probably won't come up in most of your launch experiences. As the sun began to rise, it started to feel more real. Throughout the night, almost every inch of the bridge was claimed by people hoping to witness the final liftoff of OV-105. It was just a big, long, linear party. There was a nervous buzz as we all realized that the launch was very close, but still not a sure thing. So, lesson seven, make sure that you have a way to get information about what's going on. While a smartphone is an obvious candidate here, another great option is a portable radio. You won't have to worry about a local cell phone tower getting overwhelmed, and the latency won't be as bad as trying to listen to an audio stream on your phone. Soon it became more and more clear, even from a great distance, that something was happening. We could see gas venting from the spacecraft itself, and T-38s could be seen doing touch-and-go landings at the shuttle landing facility, assessing the weather. 
I used that time to recalibrate my camera's focus for about the 20th or 30th time that night. One of my goals was to get a decent photo of the liftoff, so I'd brought my DSLR camera, a Canon Rebel XSI at the time, as well as a 300mm lens and a tripod. Since I had nothing but time on my hands, I was able to use the screen on the camera to zoom way, way in, and then delicately, manually adjust the focus on the lens. Since I knew exactly where I was, and exactly where the launch was, there was no reason to leave things up to the autofocus. And that leads me to lesson number 8. If you're planning on taking pictures, get everything ready well in advance. This seems pretty obvious, but there's a reason I call it out. We'll get to it in a second, but the launch itself is fast, and it feels even faster. The last thing you want to be doing is fumbling around with your camera instead of witnessing one of the most incredible sights on Earth. Do your prep work, take practice photos, and set everything up so the camera and timer do the work, and you're free to enjoy the show. I should also mention that unless you have a serious camera and telephoto lens, probably don't even bother. At that distance, cell phone pictures won't come anywhere close to capturing the action, so you're better off just enjoying the view yourself and looking at professional photos later. And speaking of that camera timer, lesson 9 is to make sure that you find out ahead of time exactly when the launch is, down to the second, and then make sure that your phone or watch are perfectly synced up with the actual time. And that goes for your camera's clock, too. That's because in the final seconds before launch, people are going to be playing audio streams from the internet, listening to radios, and shouting out their own countdowns. It makes it really confusing when the liftoff will actually happen. If you're there just to watch, this isn't that big of a deal, but if you want to take a photo, it's better to know the precise liftoff time for yourself. And that brings us to the launch itself. After years of dreaming about it, weeks of planning, and 16 uncomfortable and chilly hours sitting on a bridge, it was finally time for me to watch Endeavor light that candle. The first thing you notice, at least with the shuttle, is a massive billowing plume of steam pouring out of the flame trenches. It's unmistakable that something dramatic is happening. The first sound that hits your ears isn't actually from the vehicle, since it's too far away. Instead, you'll hear a lot of camera shutters firing like crazy, and people gasping and cheering. Next comes the light. If you've never seen one in person, rockets are so much brighter than you expect. It's not like turning on a lamp or even fireworks. It's like a tiny slice of the sun has been dropped down onto the Florida coastline and is now trying to get back up into the sky. No camera captures it properly. And before you can really recover from that brilliant sight right in front of you, the sound of ignition hits. At first, it sounds almost like a freight train in the distance. You don't hear it as loud at first, but you can tell that it was loud wherever the sound came from. And then that rumbling roar just builds and builds and builds. It completely surrounds you, assaulting your ears from all angles, even if at this range it won't actually hurt them. It gets to the point of almost being frightening, as it sounds like the sky itself is caving in all around you. And then, as the vehicle gains more altitude, the sound starts to change. The low, loud rumble begins to contain a sharp crackle, the sound of thousands of sonic booms piling on top of each other. Imagine what it would sound like if you held a bunch of flapping tarps off the side of a fighter jet, or if a dozen popcorn machines had been embedded in your brain. The sound slams into your chest, and it's so powerful that it feels like the air itself has a texture. But just as you're starting to appreciate that texture, the sound begins to get quieter and deeper as the distance between you and the engines grows. And then suddenly, the spacecraft disappears. 
well, at least it did for me, because around 23 seconds after liftoff, Endeavour flew into a thin sheet of puffy clouds that had rolled in just minutes before the launch. As Endeavour continued on, laying down its opaque exhaust trail, a giant arcing shadow was traced out on the cloud layer, spanning the entire sky. Seeing a human-made object change the sky itself like that was incredible, but we also never saw the shuttle again. So I guess lesson 10 is either be lucky, or accept that it might not work out perfectly. Whether it's a scrub, a camera failure, not getting your planned spot, or a very rude sheet of clouds appearing at the last minute, you never know what might change the story you planned. Just remember that, in my book at least, the difference between a bummer experience and a fun story for later is all about your outlook. My last bit of advice is that once the launch is over and the final rumbles are fading away, there's going to be a mad dash of everyone trying to get back to their cars and escape before the inevitable traffic jam. Just accept that you'll be stuck in traffic and give yourself a moment to really savor what you experienced. Really build a memory around it. At the time of this recording, I've seen six orbital launches up close. It never gets old, and they're all incredible in their own way, but STS-134 will always hold a special place in my heart as the first. And while I'm getting all sentimental here, I'd like to take this opportunity to once again extend a heartfelt thank you to everyone who shares the show, reviews it, bothers their friends with it, donates to it, and most of all, to everyone who listens to it and enjoys it. Next time. Well, next time we'll actually get to episode 150 and find out what's going on with Galileo. Hopefully after years of traveling to Jupiter, it won't begrudge me the extra two weeks. Ad Astra, catch you on the next pass. (laughs) 